0: Hello, and welcome to the ATPE Podcast, brought to you by the Association of Texas Professional Educators and covering the hottest topics on Texas educators' minds today.
1: Hello, and welcome to the ATPE Podcast. My name is Kate Johans, and I serve as ATPE's Marketing and Communications Director.
0: And hello, my name is Paul Tapp, and I am the Managing Attorney for ATPE.
1: Yeah, thank you, Paul. We, at our last episode, we kind of did your first year of law school in 20 minutes. Um, Hopefully, it was not quite as stressful for you as being a 1L.
0: No, it was not.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, today, we're going to get back to the topic of contracts. And one thing I'm curious about is whether there are different types of contracts and whether there are multi-year contracts. So let us know.
0: Certainly. Um, The answer to Both of those questions is yes. As far as the different types of contracts, there are three. Um, And these are set out in the Texas Education Code again, the um, state law that governs public education. The first type of contract is called a probationary contract. And that is the type that you will or did receive when you first started out in public education. And it is also the type that you normally will receive when you start at a new school district, regardless of how much experience you have had in public education. The significance of probationary contract is that it provides great protection during the school year, um, as far as requiring due process before the district can take any serious negative action against you. But at the end of the school year, it basically works like most contracts in the world work, which is at the end of the contract, it just kind of goes poof in a puff of smoke. It is very easy for a school district um, to basically tell a teacher, sorry, we're not gonna have you back next year. Doesn't exactly go poof, that's a little bit of exaggeration, but again, it's very easy for that to happen. Next kind of contract, and this is the most common by far, Kind of type of contract. and It's called a term contract. And it's called that because it is set for a specific term. Um, now that's true of probationary contracts too. They're almost always one year. Um, term contract is usually one year. It can be anywhere from one to five. One, one year or two years is the most common we see. And one year by far the most common. Um, it. It is different from a probationary contract in that the district does actually have more requirement to show that they have some good reason to not provide the educator a new contract at the end of the term of the current contract. Again, whether it's a one-year contract at the end of that one year or if it's a two-year contract at the end of that second year. The third type of contract, and this is one that's getting very rare actually, is called a continuing contract. Um, this is something that a lot of districts used um, back a long time ago, um, before actually I was starting in, um, to, educate, to represent teachers about 25 years ago. Um, at that point, we we're already seeing an evolution to term contracts. What a continuing contract is, is basically what it sounds like. You sign it once and it just continues on until you resign, you retire, or the district goes through the due process to be able to terminate it. You don't have to get a new contract every year or every two years the way you do with a term contract. Um, So those are the three types of contracts. And I am sorry, Kate, I got so involved in that. I can't remember what the other cause. oh, how many years in contract class. I, I think I kind of probably answered that already. Probationary contract one year, almost entirely term contracts, one to five, almost always one, sometimes two continuing contracts that lasts until you're done.
1: Great, well, thank you, Paul. So it seems like most HPE members at this point would have either probationary or term contracts. How how long do you, does a new educator or a new to the district educator typically have a probationary contract before the district would offer them a term contract?
0: The Texas Education provides that it a probationary period, a probationary contract period is up to three years uh, for a new educator, um, and that is basically defined as an educator who has not been an educator for more than five out of the last eight years. Um, So anyway, somebody just starting out that doesn't have that five years experience is considered new. So Texas Education Code says three years. Now, I had mentioned the existence of districts of innovation in our last podcast, and this is situation where districts of innovation actually have come up because there are districts out there that have opted out of that provision that limits them to three years. What that means is that it is possible for those districts to extend that period beyond that third year. We haven't really seen or at least haven't heard that much about educators having issues with that, but it is possibility. And, and you need to be aware that, you know, if you go work at a district of innovation, you may want to look to see what it is they've opted out of, because this could be something. And you could find yourself uh, with a probationary contract for longer than that period. For an educator that has more experience, that's just moving to a new district or something like that and has probationary contract because they're new there, again, it, it is usually one year. And then the district either puts you on a term contract or continuing contract, but again, district of innovation, they may have opted out of that. And so they may be able to extend it longer than that one year.
1: Where can an educator one, find out if their district is a district of innovation or their potential district? And two, where, where is it listed? What, uh, portions of the education code a district of innovation has opted out of.
0: You are trying to make this like law school here with all these multiple part questions. <laughs> Sorry. Um, first, as far as where you can find out whether a district whether a district you are looking at is a district of innovation, the hard answer is you can look on the district's website. Um it's going to be there somewhere, but it can take some searching. The well, and e- I'm going to be
1: honest, some school district websites, not the most user friendly.
0: Absolutely. The easier, by far, easier way of finding is to go to the TEA website. And you go to the TEA website, you look up at um, and click on the school districts tab. And one of the options you will see is districts of innovation. And if you click on that tab, it will uh, provide you a list of every district in the state that's a district of innovation. And every name on that list has a link to that district's innovation plan. So it will take you directly to the district's innovation plan, which will say what they have opted out of. So by far easier than um, going to the district's website and trying to find it that way. Because again, it can be pretty difficult sometimes. As far as what a district can opt out of, um, that can get a little bit complicated. Probably the easiest answer for that, particularly because it's just what we're talking about and what's relevant here is they can opt out of anything in chapter 21 of the Texas Education Code, which is where all of the, or almost all of the teacher rights um exist. You know, all the things about your contract in the first place, duty-free lunch, planning and prep time, um leave all of that stuff is in chapter 21 of the Texas education code and they a district can legally opt out of any of that. Now, fortunately, uh, we haven't seen districts opt out of a lot of these kinds of things, but we have seen some
1: it seems like checking that would be a good part of any job candidates due diligence when they're considering applying to a district for the first time, just to make sure you know what, what you're getting into.
0: Yeah, no, and definitely makes sense because one of the things we see more districts opting out of is, is planning time. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, they assure in their in their innovation plan that they're certainly going to provide planning time to the teachers. But if they've opted out of the Texas Education Code requirement for it, it's just their promise. And if anyone, you know, those of you who listened to the beginning of our first podcast when I differentiated a promise from something that was legally enforceable, um, that's what we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, that's a big that's a big difference. So. I guess, you know, thinking about this, another difference I'm assuming between probationary and term contracts would be what happens at the end of the year, correct? Absolutely. So what 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 walk me through it's you know, it's April, it's May, what's happening in each of these scenarios?
0: Sure. Absolutely. The usually the process starts a little earlier than that, actually February, uh, maybe March is when it, it usually starts. And the big difference, like you said, is what happens at the end of the contract. With a probationary contract, the only requirement for the district is the board has to vote that it is in the district's best interest to terminate that contract at the end of the school year. That's it, just that vote. And the district has to notify the educator that the board took that vote. They don't have to prove it's in the district's best interest. They don't even have to explain how they thought it was in the district's best interest. It really is a list of names that the school board gets and they tend to just vote on that list of names. They don't even know who it is they're voting for. What that does is it makes it very important Uh, for probationary teachers to to extent they can have a good relationship with their principal because ultimately this whole process starts with the principal putting teacher's name on one list or another either the list to get a contract for next year or a list to basically go through and get this board vote saying that it's in the best district's best interest not to again that's the only requirement for a probationary contract is that one vote and notification of that vote. The For a term contract, it is there's substantially more. Um, it's not impossible by any means for a school district to what's called non-renew a contract at the end of the contract term, but there is a lot more that goes into it. The administration has to go to the school board, has to ask the school board and the school board has to agree to vote to propose to non-renew that teacher's contract. Teacher then gets notice that the board has proposed again, hasn't actually happened yet. It's just a proposal proposed to non-renew that contract. The teacher can then ask for a hearing and hearing takes place. It's basically like a mini trial. And at that, in that mini trial, the district has to prove that they have something that would be considered good cause to non-renew the contract. Now, like I said, um, in Texas, unfortunately, it doesn't require that much. It's not a very high standard to establish that there is good cause. To non-renew a contract, but they do have to go through this process, and and that in and of itself, the fact they have to go through this process does make the administration think a little bit more about whether it is worth it, and that provides some additional protection beyond just the due process itself uh, for their job. You know, it's just a little—it's more work to go through this. So they go through the trial and maybe in front of a independent judge, maybe in front of the school board, um, it's up to school district to decide who it's in front of. Ultimately, the school board would vote and say, yes, based on the evidence in this hearing, we believe there is um, evidence to um, non-renew this teacher, that there is good cause for that, or decide that in fact, okay, no, there is not. But there is, there's get yeah, much more process that is due, which is what due process means um, with a term contract than there is with a probationary contract.
1: What kind of timelines are involved as far as non-renewal goes?
0: Um, like I said, it usually starts out sometime pretty early in the spring. Usually February is when principals start actually making these lists. Um, the requirement for the notice to teachers, in other words of these board votes, the teacher has to be notified of either the vote to, terminate fact of the end of the school year, the probationary teacher, or proposed non-renewal for a term contract at least 10 days before the last instructional day of the school year. Now that's that's pretty late. I mean, that seems late in the school year, but because school boards tend to only meet once a month, they tend to start this process pretty early. And that's why it is, it starts at the campus level, usually in February, maybe if a principal's kind of running late in March in making these lists as to, you know, what they think should happen for a particular teacher. And again, because there's more due process with a term contract, um, it's probably going to get more scrutiny from the central administration with a probationary teacher. So again, they wanna build some time into this to where they can look at this um, before it actually has to get to the board for this vote. So that's why the process starts so many many months before the law actually requires the district to give a teacher notice.
1: We've talked a lot about the unhappy time when the district wants to non-renew your contract. But what if they want to renew your contract? What is your timeline for letting them know, yes, I want to work in this school district next year, or no, I'd really rather move on to greener pastures.
0: Okay. And there's two answers for this. And actually in, in both cases, it's, it's good for the teacher. First, this goes back to the contract itself. It is, almost universal that the last paragraph of the contract is going to say something to the effect that this offer of employment for the next school year or next two school years whatever it is will remain open until such and such date and the contract needs to be signed and returned by that date or Failure to sign and return it by that date will be deemed a resignation of educators' employment. Um, Don't know, and also we really don't know how enforceable that is, whether a teacher who didn't sign and return their contract by that date really could be deemed to have resigned from the school district. We've never had a case, at least not that I'm aware of, um, where that has been tested. I have some questions about it myself. By all means, though, I always recommend a teacher to go ahead and sign it, return it, because that doesn't mean you actually have to stay the next school year. This is a situation, this is one of those situations where actually the law is on the teacher's favor. You signing and returning the contract binds the district. They can't come back to you and say, oh, hey, you know, we've decided we found a better teacher. You know, we found somebody that we like better and, you know, they're going to replace you and we don't want you back next year. You've got a contract for next year. And so they can't do that anymore without, again, going through proper due process. You, on the other hand, as an educator, can still resign as long as you give the district at least 45 days notice before the first instructional day of the next school year. In other words, like I said, even if you've signed a new contract for that new school year, you can still resign as long as you give proper notice at least 45 days before the next school year. And that's 45 calendar days, not 45 work days.
1: So that's the first instructional day. So that's the first day students are present? Or the first
0: first first day students are present, Okay, exactly. So it's not your first day of being in, in there and in service, not your first day, which is probably gonna be a week or two before that. It's the first day the students are there. Um, Now, one of the things that the legislature changed in the last session, again, 45 days is what you're required to, is the deadline for being able to leave without anything happening to you. District can't do anything. They can't say no. They can't hold your certificate, quote unquote. I've heard that term. Actually, districts can't do that anyway in any circumstances, but there is nothing a district can do to you if you give them that notice at least 45 calendar days before the first instructional day. Now, the legislature changed the law recently, um, last session, and basically said that an educator can leave as long as they give 30 days notice, but they may be reprimanded. For that, and when I say reprimanded, I mean a reprimand from the State Board for Educator Certification on the teacher's certificate, they won't be suspended, which is what the usual sanction is for leaving when you don't have the authority to leave. Um, but you can be reprimanded, but your certificate will remain valid.
1: Leaving when you don't have authority to leave that seems I know we've covered that. In one podcast, but I know there have been some recent changes to contract abandonment rules, which sounds like a good topic for a future episode.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and that does, like we talked about. What we're talking about here is a contract. You sign the contract, you are agreeing to work for the term of that contract. The fact that you can resign after you've signed this contract, agreeing to work for the next school year is, again, a benefit. To teachers, one that the, there isn't anything reciprocal for the school district. Again, they're bound by it entirely once you signed it. Um, but you're not. At least as long as, get as long as you give that notice, at least 45 days before the first instructional day.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much, Paul. We still have quite a lot to get to with contracts. We still need to cover supplemental versus additional duties. And again, as I mentioned, these new contract reabandonment rules. But we will tackle that in our next episode. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Yes, thank you all. Uh, we decided we were going to like split this up so that it's as fun as it is to hear about contracts. Hearing it all in one hour seemed like a lot. So we decided to split this up. So got some more topics coming up for you uh, a little bit later.
1: Yes. Please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss our next episode on contracts and many other topics. Thank you so much for joining us. And we appreciate you listening to the ATPE podcast.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the ATPE podcast. For more information about becoming part of Texas's largest community of educators, please visit atpe.org. The information provided in this podcast is for general purposes only. Individual legal situations vary greatly, and viewers needing individual legal advice should consult directly with an attorney. Eligible ATPE members may contact the ATPE Member Legal Services Department.